So Holy Spirit, before anyone trusts my voice to speak, would you please start preaching the sermons that need to be spoken to the people gathered in this room? We so love your voice and we so trust your voice and we don't always find what you say easy, but we want to hear it. Help us on the cusp of a new work and school week uh, to not be in a hurry. <laughs> Slow us down to the pace you need us to be moving at in our brains to be able to engage with what you wish to do. Be kind to me, Lord. Help me not to race ahead of you nor lag behind. And as you're kind to us, teach us how to be kind to the world in which we live. Amen. Uh, so for those of you who haven't been following along at home, uh, we're kind of partway through a, a, a series that Tim and then Vaughan last week have been uh, working on, on the ecclesia, this um, Greek word that comes from the New Testament and is the one that's... Um, translated as church. Uh, if you weren't here at kickoff, the place where Tim launched from a few weeks ago was this um, passage in Matthew's account of Jesus' life in chapter 16. Matthew and Jesus and the rest of the disciples, for that matter, are having a bit of a chat and Jesus is asking them, well, you guys have been hanging out with me for a fair while now. Um, who do people reckon that I am? And they come up with a few different answers and then he turns the question um, on them and it's at that point in time that a cat who until that point in time has been called Simon um, says to Jesus, uh, you're the Christ, the Messiah. And uh, Jesus says, you've, you've nailed it. And then he says to him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, uh, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And as Tim said the other day, this is a little um, language gameplay that Jesus is engaged in here where he's taking a guy whose name means something like reed. It's kind of fairly breakable, flops around when it's uh, wet, breaks when it's dry. It's not the toughest thing in the universe. And he renames him uh, Peter, Petros, uh, the rock. <laughs> so he takes a guy who until this point in time, to the extent that anyone's teasing him about his name at, at uh, school, is teasing him about being weak and floppy. And he says to him, you're the most solid thing. Uh, that I could picture in this moment. That's um, when Jesus gives you a new name, man. You want to pay attention, yeah. <laughs> he's al he's always doing promotions. Um, anyway, he um, goes on to say, uh, "You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven." <sighs> Come on. <laughs> Man, there would, be, there would be days where the disciples' faces would have fallen being around Jesus. I'm going to be really, really honest. There were some tough days. There were some days where, man, if their hearts weren't increasing in their rate and the hairs on their arms weren't standing up, they weren't drawing breath. <laughs> uh, this minute, this is a good minute to be Peter. He, he has his fair share of not good minutes. He is nailing it at the moment. Um, Jesus has in mind this thing, um, ecclesia, church, 
that somehow or other is going to be engaged in something against which even the gates of hell will not prevail. <laughs> now, we, we, we say some kooky things when we gather together as Christians, you all know that. <laughs> uh, we have a lot to say about warfare, and, and so often what we talk about sounds like we're on the back foot, that hell's coming for us, and we're just hoping it's not going to overcome us. Unless hell is attacking us with, our, with their gates, this is not a picture of us being on the defensive. <laughs> This is a picture of a proactive body of believers swept up in something that is advancing towards interrupting, displacing the work of hell on the face of planet Earth. And on this rock, Jesus is going to build his ecclesia. <laughs> He's trustworthy and true. We're on the advance. We're proactive. We're going to make some, we're going to make some beauty. <laughs> um. So this, this word, ecclesia, um, it's actually just the putting together of two different word parts, um, ek meaning out of and ecclesia meaning a calling. So it's something or other to do with um, a calling out of people. Um, and it's actually, a, it's, it's, as Tim said when he was speaking with us, he, Jesus hasn't invented a new religious word. He's looked around in his culture and he said, well, given what I have in mind for this body of people I'm going to bring into existence through Peter's ministry, amongst others, um, what, what name should I call you? And looking around his culture for the nearest representation of something like what he's bringing into being, he reaches for Ecclesia. Uh, and as, as Tim said the other day, he's actually picking up a non-religious word. It's almost like a governing council kind of word. And he's saying, that's what I want you guys to be like. Uh, so looking around their culture, um, they would have seen and heard the word Ecclesia as a reference to a gathering of citizens called out from their home homes into some public place. So what am I called out of? I'm called out of my home. Where am I called to? I'm called into a public place. And if you read through the scriptures and you look for different places that the word ecclesia and its Hebrew equivalent beforehand have been used, people get summoned into these kinds of bodies in order to go and beseech kings to make a different and better choice, in order to plan for um, coming warfare. Uh, in order to do things that will actually bring about a change in the practical circumstances of their community and communities around them. It's a, it is a governing word. It's a deciding word. It's a planning word. Uh, Jesus says, if I'm looking around my culture and I'm trying to find a word that's going to describe this people group that I'm bringing into being, it's the governing council. It's like a people's convention. It's, these people are going to discuss some meaty things and they're going to make some decisions that are then going to need to be implemented. And when they are, stuff's going to get better. I always find it interesting um, when you look back at actual original languages, what other words would have been available to the speaker or the writer that they didn't choose? So it's not like Jesus didn't have other words he could have picked if he was looking for any old kind of assembly in, in first century Middle East. Uh, he could have, for instance, reached for the word um, panagurus. It's a, a public gathering or assembly for festivals or games. Uh, so down at Parramatta Stadium at the moment, I'm going to speak by faith, the mighty eels are beating the dragons. Um, and gathered around them, um, there is a panagurus uh, of people, a, a gathering of people gathered for the games. Uh, equally, if you were just coming out for any old kind of festival, you, you're celebrating whatever their equivalent of Anzac Day was, you're, you're actually gathering to honour a god in a, a festival kind of atmosphere, the word you would have chosen is not ecclesia, it's Panagurus. I personally find that interesting. <laughs> 
Uh, he could have, if he wanted to, reached for another word. He could have picked uh, Sunagoge. Was is voting for that one, which puts him and Jesus at odds with each other because Jesus didn't pick it. <laughs> uh, synagogue, any of you who can bump it around the, the New Testament for a while, you'll recognise the word synagogue as kind of a pretty common word in Jesus' uh, uh, in Jesus' environment. And uh, synagogue, if you'd reached for that word, would have been um, an assembly gathered together to offer prayers and listen to the reading and exposition of the scriptures. What did you just say? That's got my hairs up. So if you wrote a really small book called Words Jesus Didn't Pick to Describe the Church. <laughs> the word he chose not to pick when telling Peter about this thing he was bringing into being that was going to proactively engage with hell's work on earth... <laughs> in such a way that even the gates of hell would not prevail, is ecclesia. The council. The people's convention. Heaven's parliament. Not Panagurus, the crowd, and not Sunagoge, the gathering to read and talk a lot. At which point, I'll be really honest with you, I say ouch and wonder where I should take the rest of the talk. Because <laughs> I did sit down to say, well, okay, if I was trying to find a modern day equivalent for each of these words, let's try and come up with like two or three different equivalents. And the only one of the things that I've been talking about in the last few moments that I could only come up with one equivalent for was Sunagoge. Which is not a word of disrespect to, to this. <laughs> but it is a word of honour to something in addition to this that this is meant to produce. <laughs> Somehow, by all these gatherings going across, in this city and in other cities, in this country and in other countries, somehow, across this floating blue-green orb, float, floating not too far from the sun, somehow Jesus is expecting that by our worship, by our reading, by our talking, by our gathered time over coffee and whatever else we do, when we get together, heaven's council will emerge. People, when they go out those doors into their actual homes, their real workplaces, the schools where they study, and everywhere else will start engaging in proactive lifestyles that in the public place bring heaven in such a way that there's simply no time or space for hell anymore. Why would we settle for something less than that? Um, Tim, when he asked me to speak, um, asked me to try and find whether there's any dot joining to go on between this word ecclesia that we've been talking about for a while and the thing that we talk about as justice. And... Um, 
the dot joining that goes on for me when, when God puts skin on and comes to earth in the person of Jesus. Um, Matthew's account of Jesus' life frames itself up right from kickoff, right from as soon as we meet John the Baptist, as a study in how God will judge and deal with the fruitfulness or fruitlessness of his people. That, that's just how the account of Jesus' life launches in, in Matthew. And as it heads into Passion Week, I was reading this during the Easter week, um, not that long ago, and uh, as it heads into to Passion Week, Jesus goes into the temple, the Holy of Holies, the, the world's best sunagoge, um, and he finds the most religious people that he can find there, and he has a series of sayings that he gives to them that all start rather ominously and unpastorally with the expression, woe to you. In one of them, he says this, he says, um, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, actors, pretenders, is what he means by that. For your tithe, your um, mint and dill and cumin, <laughs> you, you sit down and you just fiddle with the punctilious little, almost pointless religious observances that seem like they're important to you. You do all that stuff, you're smashing that out of the park. <laughs> for for you, you do tithe your mint, dill and cumin, um, and, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. It's these you ought to have produced without neglecting the other. You see, again, Jesus isn't speaking a word of dishonour to the religious observances that can bring life to us. What he is doing, though, is saying, oh, man, there's, there's, such a, there's such a treasure of these other things, justice and mercy and faith, that you're just never getting to because you spend every waking hour doing these things. So this church for years has committed itself to the task of showing the world what love is really like, yeah? Um, there's a lot to be included in that. <laughs> but unless it includes justice and mercy and love, when Jesus walks into the temple, he may have some challenging things to say to us. <laughs> this, this justice, mercy and love thing, it's not like it emerges from the mist for the first time ever when Jesus turns up. Ever since kickoff, uh, Yahweh has been talking to Israel about justice and mercy and love. When, um, when the one who dwells in eternity reaches down to um, childless Abram and says to him, I'm going to give you a kid. I don't know why I love this story so much, but man, I love it. Um, as well as telling him he's going to do the most impossible thing that's most his heart's desire, he goes on to say, you know what, I'm just going to give you a kid. I'm going to make your family so abundant. You're basically going to be a nation. And through you, he says, um, all the families of the earth will be blessed. See, you know what, we absolutely should land in that story about childless Abram and Sarai and say, man, that is a story of an intimate, personal God who sees the aches of one man and one, one woman's heart and deals with them. We, we need that to be a story that lands in our spirit. 
But we need as well to step a hundred paces back from that story and say, in addition to being an intimate, personal, wonder-working God who deals with the aches of one man and one woman, here is Yahweh, the one who dwells in eternity with a vision for earth in which the whole thing is being re-blessed. What we receive in order to give is the picture that God is giving to Abram in this interaction. When, when, when they turn out as Israel to not be all that good about stepping back a hundred paces and saying, this isn't meant to be just another parochial tribal God blessing us in our personal circumstances. Somehow we're meant to become conduits for that to the whole world. When they turn out not to be very good at the conduits to the whole world part, it doesn't work so well. They end up hanging out in a place called Babylon, which apparently had fabulous gardens, but wasn't a great place to be in exile. And as they go, what Yahweh doesn't say is, oh, well, I'll get back to you later on. Um, what he says is, as they go, whilst you're there, um, seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. Even when you're suffering, still work for good for those around you. This is not still work for good for the nation of Israel. Now, you guys got lost in that story for hundreds of years. I have to find a way of breaking you out of the parochial, tribal, self-interested story and picking you up and plonking you into the real, big, beautiful, holy, Catholic, worldwide thing that I always wanted to be true for you. So here's what I want you to do. Go live with some pagans for a while. Go live with some people who are going to oppress you and use you like a commodity. And while you're there, live in such a way that you seek their welfare. And then you'll start to look like me. <laughs> Come on, far out. That's, that's a 2019 Australia story. And armed with these words that Jesus speaks about the importance of um, justice and mercy and faith, the earliest followers of Jesus then start saying to each other things like, um, whenever you have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all, because we're finally starting to get it, <laughs> especially those who believe. So family, wow, bang, families love each other, just like Vaughan was talking about last week. There is an especially within all this for us. <laughs> But if we just get caught up in the especially and forget about the all, the re-blessing of the earth starts hitting the brakes again. And I don't want to miss it. I'm selfish enough to not want to miss the re-blessing of the earth. I want to be there for it and participate in it and be able to just drink the joy that comes from playing my small role. Ali told me I can't go too long, so I'd better start getting going. Um, <laughs> uh, I told you you can give me a red card if I'm going too slow, buddy. Uh, so um, where the heck do you go with all this? <laughs> um, sometime in about, um, I'm going to say 2000 and... It's the same year Lucy was born, 2001. Um, I was in Bible college, listening to a talk from a, a Bible college lecturer who was talking about the church in Acts who had been given this commission to, to do good to all, especially those who believe, to, to go and take and be good news to all the corners of the earth. We're going to smash Jerusalem, then we're going to just start loving Judea, and then we're going to go out into the whole world, and we're going to let everybody know that we're all loved children of one universal Father. That's the, 
that, that's Matthew 28. It's my re-rendering of it, but that's okay. Um, and uh, they get about as far as the outer suburbs of Jerusalem, kind of the equivalent of Rouse Hill in Jerusalem. Uh, and they go, this is awesome. We're having a great time. Spirit's falling. We're having spiritual songs. No one's ever had them before. They've had psalms and hymns, but we're doing spiritual songs and uh, we're seeing miracles and uh, we're sharing all our goods with each other. This, yes, this is pretty good. Stay here which works really, really well for the outer suburbs of Jerusalem, works pretty terribly for Judea and the rest of the world. And um, the lecturer was just making the point that when persecution breaks out in the early church, get forced out of the outer suburbs of Jerusalem, they actually start going into Judea and and the whole world carrying love and being love, taking with them um, justice and mercy and faith and and distributing as it was always intended. And the gospel just goes right across the known world. (laughs) And I just remember sitting there going, oh, shivers. I think I've set up camp in the outer suburbs of Jerusalem. (laughs) Because I was having a red-hot go at getting people to come to my church. Uh, I was loving being part of the church. I loved Sundays. Great day. I loved the small group that I was part of. All, all this stuff. And I was drinking it in. The intimate God, looking at my aches, looking at the aches of those around me and taking care of us. All over it. Loved it. Re-blessing the whole earth. Even those people who... It's not even that they don't know what churches are. They know what they are and they would never come there if you bound them, gagged them and put them on a conveyor belt. (laughs) And so I went home that night and um, I'd lay down to go to sleep and then the Lord just um, really disturbed me and he he woke me up with just four words, live, connect, share, disciple um, and and gave me a picture of um, two contrasting pictures, a picture of all Christians all clumped together trying to summon others to come to them um, and then the alternate picture of the exact same number of Christians all going out into the world to go and take and be good news. And as soon as you look at the two pictures, you go, one of them is really going to work a lot better than the other. Really not rocket science. Rocket science is so 1980s. Why am I still using that? Um, it's not cloud-based information storage. Um, uh, sorry, all this is eating up time. I'll keep going, Al. Um, uh, so uh, I, w- I went home and I just started chasing, uh, chasing this thing that the Lord had planted in me. What, what on earth would it look like for me uh, to live, to just do the things that I'm good at in the places where I live with the people that are around me, um, as I do so to connect, to actually meet? You, know, you heard about humans, yeah? They're everywhere. Um, to, to connect with actual real humans, ones that are like me, ones that aren't like me, ones that don't like me, all sorts of humans. Um, and as I do that to share emblematically not to share a doctrine, not to share a denomination, not to share a congregation, but to share a person. Jesus. <laughs> the, the enfleshed example of the Father. Um, and, and then for anybody who seemed to think that wasn't the worst idea they'd ever heard, to the extent that they would let me do so, to disciple, live, connect, share, disciple. <laughs> Four words, tip my life upside down. Um, still got the piece of paper somewhere about it. Anyway, so uh, I start kind of pushing a few doors and running a few experiments, and it turns out if you're a lawyer and you live in northern Sydney um, and you know that 
nearly nobody can afford to hire you to do the work that you're doing and you know that there are people whose families are breaking down, whose kids are being taken from them, who aren't seeing their kids when they should be, who are going to jail, need your kinds of skills if only they were a little tiny bit more affordable. Um, if you don't at some point ask the Holy Spirit to sit in the corner and shut up for a while, what you end up thinking is maybe it would be really good if I figured out a way of using the skills that I have in the place where I live with the people who need them but just with a heaven-based economy that values the giving and receiving of love rather than an earth-based economy that values the giving and receiving of cash. I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that there's a world within the world where um, The quality of your house and your retirement and your overseas travel, it's not that they don't matter, it's just that no one even thinks about them. <laughs> um, where questions about whether you're in or out, popular, good-looking or whatever the alternatives to those things are, it's not that they don't matter, it's just that no one's even thinking about them. <laughs> where, where, where the number of likes and reshares you get, it's like people talk about it but only as a joke because everybody knows the only thing that matters is the giving and receiving of love. And one day, all the other stuff is going to be removed and all that's going to be left is the one true economy inside it all, the giving and receiving of love, um, which expressed practically sounds a lot like justice and mercy and faith. Uh, so uh, beginning of 2005, uh, I started up a little charity that worked with local churches to do um, free and prophetically low-cost legal help to people who are going through family breakdown, domestic violence. And um, I sent out my first ever newsletter. And um, as a, a feisty, young, wide-eyed, um, soon-to-be missionary, um, I wrote, uh, Horizons House is open for business, and I have met with my first few people as a lawyer operating out of that space. Bang, thanks for coming. Um, <laughs> Uh, and then here's what I write. I said, uh, all I want from the legal centre uh, is for people to experience God's love in a practical way. And see the values of God's kingdom being expressed in action. I pray that 2005 will see those aims achieved in ways that blow my mind and grow God's kingdom in our city. I get a bunch of stuff wrong in life, but those couple of sentences I got right. So I just need to ask you guys, um, what grips you? People stuck in violent situations who can't find an exit door because someone with the right kind of skills isn't accessible to them, it grips me. Families functioning in ways that just are unnecessarily harsh and divisive, it, it grips me. But the point of me standing here is not to tell you what grips me, it's to ask you what grips you. And if you don't have an answer to that question, then the alternative question is what will grip you for the sake of the love of Christ and the advancement of the values of the kingdom of heaven? Because that's what Jesus is talking about when he's sitting down with Peter talking about Ecclesia. <laughs> uh, it's, 
the, the menu for this stuff, man, it's bonkers wide. <laughs> Maybe what grips you is family. You know, your parents have taken in foster kids and extended just healthy family over the lives of kids who need that as an expression of justice and mercy and faith. Maybe what grips you is, um, is sickness. There's um, a friend of Lucy and Ali's that comes here very often whose parents have just devoted their lives to advancing health in the face of cancer. There's stunningly bright scientists who've said sickness is the thing upon which I want to advance the values of heaven. <laughs> um, Maybe it's vulnerability. Maybe it's voiceless people. Sam and a few others put their time into A21 saying, this, this is what grips me. So, so I, I know, like I'm not standing here going, so I'm the only person who's got it sorted out. I look around and I see this stuff breaking out everywhere already. All I'm doing is going, yep, go for it. <laughs> Maybe it is domestic violence. Maybe it is displaced people in foreign countries. Um, maybe it's caring for creation or some other thing. I, I just want the Spirit of God to grip you with something that you can practically go, that's my justice and mercy and faith context. And I'm going to do one thing and I'm going to see how it goes. And then even if it's bad, I'm going to do another thing and I'll see how that goes. And I'll keep going until something by the grace of God has traction. And I see the gates of hell just creaking a little bit as the kind of justice and mercy and faith that lives in me starts to find expression on the face of planet Earth. Um, uh, so, two minutes, Al, almost landing. Um, <laughs> really, the last thought I want to leave you with is just this, that um, we're not called out from the world to become some kind of um, distant monastic community. Although, to be honest, monastic communities have a lot going for them. <laughs> But in Jesus' time, there was actually there was a group of people who lived out in the desert called the Essenes, I think I'm right in saying. Um, they'd decided, so what, what the right way is to um, express faith in the one Jesus keeps insisting in as our Father is to retreat to the desert, to read the right books, to live pure lives apart from everybody else who might sully us. Um, and then it's, that's the deal. Um, and sometimes around people of faith following Jesus, we, we, we can hear things that sound like we're meant to be retreatist. <laughs> I don't know. No, no, gates of hell are that way, baby. <laughs> we're, not, we're not heading off to the desert. Um, and so uh, we're not called then out of the world. We're called out in the world. Remember, the word ecclesia is to be called out of your home into the public square. We're called out into the public square into our schools, our universities, our cafes, our other workplaces, our trains, our buses, our light rail or whatever the heck that is these days. Um, we're just called to live normal lives with the Spirit of God inside of us, creating in us choice by boring choice, the kind of justice and mercy and faith that would make Jesus say, not woe to you, but woe to you. <laughs> Come on. That's my Fonzie line for those... <laughs> So we're called out in the world and for the world to engage in the secret economy of the giving and receiving of love. It may be good, it might not be, but I'll take the uh, affirmation. Um, can you guys stand? I just have a sense to pray for you and commission you. Um, is there anything else after this? Getting shaking heads. 
Uh, if, if anything that I've said has in any sense just caught in your spirit and you've gone, oh, yeah, I think there's something in that for me, um, just do something in your spirit but as well with your body that in some way acknowledges to God, I really want to be engaged with what Frosty's about to pray. So first, thank you, Father, for those people already in our midst, already engaged in the secret eternal economy of the giving and receiving of love. Thanks that all of us are learners in that economy. Thanks that you have given us unbounded riches with which to engage in that economy as we live our lives. And forgive us for those moments where we've behaved as though we only had a few scratchy coins. Thank you, Father, for the chance to walk out these doors, uh, out of our metaphorical synagogue, um, into the public square to be the ecclesia. Give us boldness and humility because they need to hold hands. Give us words that originate in heaven but come out of our earthly mouth. Give us practical actions that um, in the things that grip us, re-bless the earth as you always intended your people to do. We love you. If we end up poorer by doing this, we accept that for the sake of the joy set before us. If we end up less popular as a result of doing this, we accept that for the sake of the joy set before us. If we end up giving up on some arguments in, in order to win some people, we accept that for the sake of the joy set before us. You are a good God and we are in. Amen.